0: Welcome back to The Peripheral. Quick announcement before we start, I'm going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Austin, Texas, August 25th through the 27th. If you use code Justin, you'll get some discounts. And if you've never been to the True Crime Podcast Festival, it's mostly smaller indie podcasts, and it features a lot of panel discussions, a podcast row and uh, live recordings that you can watch. So check it out at truecrimepodcastfestival.com and use code Justin. On today's episode, I speak with Mike, who happens to be a recovering alcoholic. Mike paints a very clear picture of how far alcoholism can drag us down and what happens when you have an addiction in conjunction with depression. You, know, you can do things that you're not proud of. You can burn bridges, destroy relationships, and make so many bad decisions that you feel like you're drowning in regret. Mike was able to finally recognize his problem and refocus on things that brought joy and passion into his life.
1: Hi, my name is Mike, and I just wanted to tell my story of Being an alcoholic. So how old are you now, Mike? I'm 35. Uh And how long
2: have you been drinking for?
1: About 15 years. Probably a little longer. I guess it started since high school. But I've been, you know, everyday hardcore for about a good 15, 16 years. Mm -hmm.
2: So was there anything happening in the beginning were you just
1: drinking for pleasure partying or yeah sure I mean it always starts off as fun right and then there comes a point where it's no longer fun and it becomes just more of a necessity but I would say that I don't know maybe sixth seventh grade I would raid my parents liquor cabinet before school and then Fill up like a little water bottle filled with Malibu rum or something, some ice. Walk to school and chug that down while I was walking to school. And yeah, I guess that's where it all started.
2: What did you mainly drink by yourself, or did you drink with friends?
1: In those instances, back in the early days, it was just pretty much more experimenting with myself, but. Yeah, I mean, of course, like, during high school and college, I was definitely partying and drinking with everybody. And it, it was kind of like a mix, I guess. This going to sound like boasting or whatever, but I had a ton of different girlfriends and drank with all of them, too. And, yeah, it, it was just a good time to be had by all until it wasn't. So at what point did you start figuring out or start,
2: regretting your drinking?
1: Well, that probably came after I dropped out of college. I was in college for three semesters. I went to Northern Illinois University, and I went there to study illustration. I pretty much just partied all the time and chased all the hippie art girls. I got a job at the local bar, so I'd make friends with some guys there that would buy me beer before I turned 21. Pretty much just squandered my entire college career.
2: By college, were you just drinking all the time? Were
1: you just drinking on the weekends, or was it a day Oh, Oh, no, it was totally every day. I don't know how I even managed to make it past the first year. I did three semesters, and... No, it was just every day. Pretty much the only classes that I was going to were my art classes, and even those were few and far between. But, yeah, it was not good. You grow up in a conservative household, and you get out, and you're finally out on your own for the first time. Like, all you want to do is just kind of rage. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like a lot of my friends...
2: We're in that party mode. I just call it the party mode. It's, you know, when you're drinking and partying and you're not exactly paying that much attention to your responsibilities in life and you just kind of get stuck there and you never graduate. You never get that job. You're just always looking for the next party, the next hangout, or just drinking at home by yourself.
1: For sure, man. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be skating on thin ice here walking a fine line between telling my story and you know, what was me, poor straight white male, his mommy never loved him type of thing, but like I grew up with some pretty dismissive parents and once you finally find your tribe it's game on like these people actually you know, are showing me attention, you know what I mean? Like, it's time to fucking go, I guess. That makes sense.
2: I mean, you never really felt a lot of love and support, and then you, you know, if you just feel kind of oppressed at home, and then when you get out, you get to let loose, and then you find people that, even if it's just drinking as a common interest, that's a common interest, and you have... A connection there with this other person and then after a while i'm assuming you're you know the haze lifts a little bit and you start to realize i don't even like these people man
1: (laughs) right right and you know what i don't want to talk about the whole family dynamic too if you want to even go there because do you think it was a factor in your behavior oh absolutely yeah i mean You know, growing up, all I really wanted to do was draw and and make art and just create things. I never really knew exactly where I came from. I was an accident. You know, my mom had me when she was 18. And my biological father, whom I've never met, died when I was just a baby from speedballing, you know, shooting up coke and heroin at the same time in a bar, and I never really heard the whole story about who he actually was. I remember one time I got into a fight with my mom and my stepdad, who I've just basically just, we'll just call him my dad for the time that we're talking, but yeah, she took me to a restaurant one time and was just like, you know, he was really artistic and his name was Chris and that's pretty much all I remember her telling me about him, which is really kind of fucked up, you know? For a kid who's trying to figure out where he comes from, pretty much suffered from depression his entire life, and all you really get out of your mom about where you come from is, well, your biological dad's name is Chris, and he likes art just like you, or he liked art. Until he killed himself with drugs. Just kind of like how you're doing. You know? Like, oh, cool. Thanks. Well, Mike, um, my biological
2: father, I never met him. He was in jail when I was born. You know, my mom met a new guy, and I'll call him my dad, too. But I never knew my biological father. And then my mom said, his name's Eric. He... Had a lot of potential, but he killed himself with drugs. And that's all I knew about him, too. It's very similar.
1: You gotta be kidding me, man. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, I'll be damned. It's weird, huh? Yeah, how about that? It's like we, uh... It's like I was kind of drawn to you through some weird sort of connection. But... Yeah, anyhow. So, obviously stepdad
2: or dad wasn't exactly filling the role mom
1: wasn't really doing much and you get out of the house the first thing he said you know with with dad and mom it's like i don't want to get i mean i guess i will whatever I'll, i'll get into it i'm from chicago the south side and my old man is a chicago homicide dick He's a homicide detective for Southside Chicago, and so he's very, how do I put it, jaded. He's seen it all, you know what I mean? the
2: worst of society.
1: It kind of makes you jaded, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, I haven't really heard much about the job from him, except for a few rare occasions, like... I think it might have actually been like my 21st birthday, I think we were drinking at the bar, and out of nowhere, he just comes up to me all hammered, and he's like, Mike, you wouldn't believe what I've seen, I've seen babies fuck so hard that they died, and I'm just like, oh, okay, that's, okay, thanks man, thanks for sharing that, you know, like, You know, you say, like, some guys are just, like, tough and and they don't bring that shit home with them. But, dude, there was was a lot of verbal abuse. Nothing ever really physical. I mean, we've gotten into fistfights and stuff before, but that was kind of a mutual thing. But, like, as far as, like, verbal abuse, like, with my drinking especially... There was never any support for, like, you know, being a drunk. It was just kind of like, oh, you got a drinking problem? Fuck you. Figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, it was like like a very suppressed Irish Catholic kind of upbringing. Sweep it under the rug. Don't tell the neighbors sort of thing. You know what I mean? We don't want this kid sullying our good name. So... Basically, we're just going to ignore it and see what happens. And then eventually it just got worse and worse. Mom, on the other hand, worked in Chicago Public Schools. She was an early education teacher. She did kindergarten for a while. She did first or second grade for a while. It was always like in poor areas. And between her and my dad working in what they would call the ghetto they ended up being quite racist and tried to basically kind of raise me to be that way and it took me a long time to realize that nobody appreciates a racist and nobody appreciates hatred towards other people and yeah it was just kind of a mess growing up and uh, sorry, I, I went on a huge tangent there. What was your original question? I'm so sorry. Don't worry about
2: it. I have another follow up question for what you just said. So, you're drinking, you kind of have this self loathing, then they're impressing upon you all this kind of jaded hatred and for the world and other people. That's just a horrible, toxic situation to grow up in and then try to navigate life with what tools did you have to navigate life with like none just drink more i mean that sounds
1: like a really bad- absolutely yeah you're right you know i don't really like to throw this word around too much because it seems it's kind of like a like a hot topic like know a hot button word that seems to be thrown around a lot these days but gaslighting, lighting feel like then they would you know often try to make everything come out to be my fault. God, I do
2: if the choices you made and so you have to reap what you sow, they're victim blaming you. They're telling you that you're the problem because of what you're doing when you're just trying to survive with the tools they gave you. Right. Was it during college when you like dropped out? Was that like a red flag for you that your
1: drinking was out of control? Yeah, college was pretty much number one. That was pretty much the big, hey dude, you gotta get your shit together. And of course I didn't. I came back home and I started going to a local community college and working at a beer distributor. And I was a helper on a beer truck and working in a beer warehouse and taking home free old beer whenever I wanted to, so of course that didn't help, and funny thing is, I ended up getting that job through a friend of my dad's, so yeah, I I ended up doing that for a year, then I don't know, I had a whole bunch of different jobs, mostly involving driving, delivery sort of thing, you know, I delivered dialysis equipment for a dialysis company for a while, and I did uh, vending machines for a long time, filling up vending machines, and even now I'm delivering auto parts for an auto parts warehouse, but surprisingly through all of this drinking, I never lost my
3: license. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're
0: judging me now. They've been judging me down my whole life.
3: You can listen now to Season 2 of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it.
2: It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.
1: It's true, though. You know, My old man got me out of a couple of pensions. I crashed a few cars, ruined a whole bunch of relationships, but yeah when i got back from college i started dating this other girl who lived about 40 miles northwest in the suburb so i moved out with her she was also a drunk and um it it got to a point one day where she just got super hammered one morning and she just kind of like slapped me around a little bit. I kind of, you know, I mean, I let her do it. What am I gonna do? Fight back? She's a girl, and she's like smoking. She, she like put her cigarette out on the carpet. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? We're renting this place. And she grabbed a knife out of the kitchen. She ran upstairs where the bathroom was, and she put her hand, her arm, under the running sink with a the knife there, and was like threatening to slash her wrist. So like I ran up there and panicking. I didn't know what else to do. So I grabbed the knife from her and I pushed her into the bathtub and like she started bawling her eyes out and I guess I really didn't need to push her as hard as I did. I already had the knife from her, but still like...
2: I know, it's a heated situation and I'm sure in any other scenario... You wouldn't have done that. But when you're kind of both at rock bottom and she's screaming and acting irrational, putting her cigarettes out on the carpet, it's you, you at least had the wherewithal to be like, hey, don't damage the place. It's rented. And you're getting really yeah. frustrated with the whole scenario. But I guess.
1: Yeah. And then after that, she ended up staying at some dude's place for a night. And I'm like, Of course, that pissed me off. You know, I'm 24 at the time and young and dumb and just angry. And and when she gets back home, I start throwing all her clothes down the stairs. Like, get the fuck out of here. And, you know, she starts crying. And looking back at it, I feel like a piece of shit. But she ends up leaving. But she takes the cable box with her because... So I was paying the rent, I was paying the $1,000 rent, and she was paying, you know, the two or three utilities or whatever, so she takes the cable back. So I'm stuck in this place, 40 miles away from everybody I know, with nothing to do except
0: for uh, a radio and books, you know, so it's like... Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip the trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You can customize select meals by swapping out proteins or sides or even adding proteins to a veggie dish. And now you can even upgrade for organic chicken or organic beef. Hellofresh pre-portioned ingredients and easy-to-follow recipe card means you can means you can get delicious home-cooked dinner on a table without time-consuming meal planning and prepping. This week I had the balsamic tomato and herb chicken on a bed of buttery garlic spaghetti. It was awesome. I loved it. I know you will too. Go to hellofresh.com/peripheral65 and use code peripheral65 for sixty-five percent off plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com/peripheral peripheral 65 p-e-r-i-p-h-e-r-a-l H E R A L six five, and use code peripheral 65 at checkout
1: well, well, whatever i'm sorry I, I keep i keep going off topic
0: no
2: this is the topic man this is the topic well, <laughs> you're fine because this is what happens you know when yeah when you have an addiction when you have depression it's You know, people think depression is just, oh, woe is me. I'm going to lay in bed all day when, no, depression is anger. Depression is rage. Depression is frustration. Depression destroys relationships. And you're describing, describing
1: describing it very well. It's destitution, man. It's absolute hopelessness. I mean, I can tell you, I mean, it only gets worse. It only gets worse. So, I mean, you know, flash forward a couple of years, I had another relationship, and it only lasted 10 months, but it was pretty much the best 10 months of my life. I was probably around 30 when that happened, and when she left, it absolutely destroyed me, man. And I just remember, you know, going to work when I had to, feeding my cat when I had to, getting out of bed when I had to, to go, you know, to the bathroom or to get another drink. But other other than that, I was in bed, man. Like, every day, all day. I stopped paying bills and I ended up fucking up my credit. Yeah, it was bad. So it took me a while to get out of that rut. It took me years to get out of that rut. I remember after she broke up with me, dude. I could not eat for four days just because it felt like like my heart was in my stomach. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, hey, four and a half days. And then I ended up eating the leftover Taco Bell that I bought. Yeah, that day when she broke up with me, four and a half days before. So I know just kind of, yeah, <laughs> but whatever terrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Taco Bell it was four days old Taco Bell which was left over from the day that you were dumped which is even worse yeah but now whatever I mean eventually of course I ended up getting over it I still draw comics about it I well which is another thing we can get into later if you want but I don't know. So I eventually ended up meeting this other girl. Oh, I say girl. She was 12 years older than me. I was 32 when I first met her. She was 45 and she had a nine-year-old daughter or eight, eight at the time. And it seems like that, like they usually do with my relationships. You know, they usually are intense and go quickly and move fast and whatever. But uh, I ended up moving in with them, her and her daughter, and we ended up dating for two years until Easter of 2021. And at this point, I had not talked to my family for a year just um, because of typical bullshit, things that my parents say. Uh, What was it this time? My sister, and I don't want to really talk too much about you know my brother and my sister because whatever but my sister had gotten into trouble with the law she had some some drug issues and they had put her in a rehab and I remember I was texting my mom and I'll, I was drunk so of course I, I was a little angry and I go well that's great that you're helping her and all but where have you been for me? You know, where's my help? And then my mom, being the sarcastic asshole that she is, goes, Yeah, maybe we can get a family discount. When she said that, that just put me over the top, dude. That was just the final straw. And after that, I didn't talk to her for a year. And I didn't talk to anybody. So a year goes by... My drinking doesn't get any better. I ended up getting into fights with my girlfriend's daughter. She's nine, but she's acting like she's sixteen. It's just a big mess, you know, just being a an unrepentant, drunken asshole and trying to help this woman raise a little girl is just just doesn't work. And so we fight, and and one night, I remember, because like, I'm like a big metalhead, you know, I listen to a lot of metal, and I remember one night me and my girlfriend in the front room, and then her daughter in her room, which is just right in the next revolver, and um, I hear her go like, burr, burr. I don't know how drunk I was or why, I was paranoid, or whatever but I kept thinking she was like making fun of me and my music and like I just went in there I'm like stop it and she kept doing it and I went in there and just like started screaming and my girlfriend had enough because this was not the first time I've done this she had a bunk bed and I ended up like breaking the entire top part of the bed before And, uh, just like, of course I would never hurt the kid or my girlfriend. It's like smashing shit, you know, just like, just being a drunken mess, man. Smashing shit, throwing up over the balcony. We were on the third floor, just being an absolute scumbag. And so that was the end of that. So the next day, which was Easter, she was at work. And she told me through the text, I think you need to find a new place to live. You need to leave today. So, basically, that essentially made me instantly homeless. So, being instantly homeless, not having any family to be able to rely on, and being chronically depressed all the time, I decided the best course to take would be to kill myself. I uh, got in my car, and I went to the liquor store, and I grabbed myself a big old bottle of whiskey, the cheap stuff, Evan Williams, and then I went over to the local Menards. I don't know if you guys have Menards, but it's... Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if everybody else does, but it's the local home improvement center. See, I had them in the arms. Yeah, yeah. I went to the garden section, and I got some sulfur, and then I went to the plumbing section, and I got some, like, Drano type of stuff. Because I had heard about a suicide technique that was popular in Japan, I wanted to gas myself. It seemed like the more pleasant way to go. I didn't want to hang myself because that's fucking brutal and whatever. Just, I had a FOID card at the time, which is the firearm owner identification, but I didn't have enough money to buy a gun, so I didn't do that. And I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't get into all the different types of ways to kill yourself, but like I just, You know, I was thinking about all the different kinds of ways. And this is the way that I had settled on. And so I drove around just getting drunk, just waiting until I got numb enough to be ready to do it. So I was driving around and I was texting my parents the whole time and I was texting my girlfriend the whole time. Police called me and... I got all pissed off at them and started screaming at the police. Yeah, I guess they they uh, filed me as like a missing person and all this shit. And I ended up just driving as far out as I could.
3: A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, "Is it Renee?" And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. <laughs> The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now.
0: They've been judging me damn in my whole life.
3: You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee?
4: Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I had my bucket and I had my chemicals and then I mixed the chemicals in my passenger seat and I I was sitting there waiting about a good 15, 20 minutes and nothing was really happening except my car stinking up like sulfur. And uh, Terrible. <laughs> God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and nothing was really happening, at least not to my knowledge, at the time. And so I got pissed, and I threw the bucket out of the car, and now here I am, not knowing what to do. Should I just set up camp in a sewer and live as a chud, cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller? Like, what do I do from here, you know? And and so I, uh, I don't know, in a drunken stupor, I decided it would be the best idea to drive to my parents' house. So I went to my parents' house and immediately got into a fight with my dad, and I punched him in the face. And then he tackled me. He's a huge dude. He's way bigger than I am, and he easily put me down and tackled me against the stairs of the porch and then my brother was there so my brother while I'm being held down by my dad starts slapping the shit out of me grabs my finger and bends it back threatens to break it he spits in my eye he tells me that I don't have the balls to kill myself just you know good old family fun cops are eventually called so, I get taken away to a hospital, and, and they have me in the hospital, and they have me in this special little isolation room, because apparently my oxygen was low. So, obviously, I was doing something right, you know, at the time, and my oxygen was low. I don't know, but... Alcohol could do uh, that, but, yeah. I'm sure the, the chemicals didn't help. Sure. Yeah, so... They have me in in that room, and then they put me up into the psych ward of the hospital until they realize I don't have insurance, so then they send me straight to the uh, state-funded psych ward, uh, you know, in a different location where um, I don't need insurance. Good old Madden Institute in Hines, Illinois, and, and I'm in this institution for two weeks, probably the longest two weeks of my life. I saw a lot of crazy shit go down in there. Saw people just break down, full-grown men just break down crying and just whatever, just all kinds of crazy shit. But I met a lot of good people there too, believe it or not. You know, a lot of just normal people who just had a bad run and like, you know what I mean? So from there, I'm talking to psychiatrists and people from different rehabs and stuff. And then from there, I, I get sent to a rehab, which was also kind of crazy. Let's just say it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I, I would say the one cool thing about rehab is though, was the food. Because we had this awesome cook named Consuela. And I remember the very first, like the second day that I was there, all we did was pretty much just eat ribs all day. It was <laughs> awesome. It was pretty great, but no, it's no reason to go. But I was there in the actual hospital. I was only there for a couple of days. I think I was there for two, one full day one night, one full day, and then another night, and then I left the next day. And then I was in rehab for uh, six months. But I ended up leaving a little bit early because some stuff of mine ended up getting stolen, and I ended up making a huge deal about it. So in rehab, there's like a little locker that only the staff has access to for your stuff. And my girlfriend, well my ex at the time, had given me some Easter candy that she bought me before she had kicked me out. That was in my locker and a bunch of it ended up going missing. And I know it sounds so stupid and so petty but that Easter candy was all that I had to, you know, anybody that I cared about. You know, I don't have a family at this point. I don't have anybody. It's just this woman that I lived with for the past two years that I cared very much about and this this stupid Easter candy that she gave me. And you're going to fucking steal it from me? And I threw a fit, dude. I went on a rage... And then, on top of that, we get these smoke breaks. And one of the speakers who comes by, like, during our meetings, like our AA meetings or NA meetings or whatever, he came by and he stole my fucking lighter. So on top of that, like, I'm just feeling like, these are a bunch of fucking phonies in this joint. And that's exactly what I ended up calling him. I ended up speaking during a meeting during the daytime we have like daytime meetings and nighttime meetings and during the day he came and started speaking and i was like this is a, this motherfucker's a phony one of the i don't would say counselors whatever she is was like how dare you this man is in this program working his hardest and I'm like yeah well he's also a thief and so he's probably a fucking liar And so we ended up getting into it, and I ended up writing, like, this two- or three-page report against her about, like, how she should not be emotionally involved with the clients and shit like that. And I ended up taking it as far as I could, just because why not? What else do I have to do? I don't know. I probably shouldn't have, but whatever. And you were hurting. You were trying to get help and you're hurting and then
2: this all goes down and no one seems to acknowledge that something wrong was done to you then i'm gonna go take this as far as i i can i get it yeah yeah it's probably petty but in your mind
1: in that situation it's not it's all you had. exactly some stupid ether candy and a fucking cigarette lighter like it's just It's so dumb to anybody else who's not in a situation like that. But not to me. That was my everything. The only thing that is actually yours at the moment. So I ended up leaving a couple weeks earlier. I ended up freaking out. I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go back where I belong. And they're like, where do you belong? Where do you belong? And I'm like, on the south side. It was dramatic. They ended up hooking me up with this halfway house in the neighborhood where I'm actually still living in now, so it's pretty close to, you know, where I was raised. So in the halfway house, I ended up getting a lot of help. I ended up meeting a lot of good people. I ended up actually getting a support system, and I actually ended up doing well for myself. I stayed sober for damn near a year, and that's why I started drawing. I was always artistically inclined, and like I said, I went to college for art, and was always just kind of not super proud of my own stuff, just because, you know, I was always told, haven't you ever heard of starving artists? my mom would say or why don't you think about doing something else and then just doing your art as a hobby and all kinds of shit like that never any support for the art and so here I am and now I'm getting nothing but support for the art I have no family breathing down my neck I have no toxicity in my life there's no drugs there's no alcohol involved Dude, it's the first time in my life I actually feel like a free spirit just make all of these little comic strips. I just make a shitload of comics, and I start up this little Instagram page and start getting a shitload of followers, which is really cool, and yeah, it just felt great, dude. I was going to meetings, I was going to AA meetings all the time, and I met some cool friends there, and... Everything was going good, and I stayed there for six months. That place was called the Guild House in Blue Island, Illinois. And then they had the Guild House Two, A.K.A. G2, which is where you graduated. After you graduated from the Guild House, you can go over to G2 if you wanted to, which I did because I had nowhere else to go. And I was there for another three months. Then I got on Bumble and I started talking to this girl from Milwaukee because I set my location settings to countrywide. Because at this point, I'm like, why stay here? Right. Yeah. Then uh, I met this girl in Milwaukee and, and we were dating on and off for a little bit. And then uh, I ended up moving in with her for two weeks. Until we realized we couldn't stand each other, and then she kicked me out. So then I ended up coming back here, and I was and then I started living with one of the dudes from the Guild House, from the halfway house, in his roach-infested apartment. I'm not gonna name names, but thank you for letting me live there. If you ever listen to this, and then after that, I ended up finding the single room to rent, which is where I'm still currently living with another guy from the halfway house. And then he fell off the wagon and started drinking again and kind of dragged me along with him. Yeah, I guess that's kind of where I'm at right now, man. Do you have a place to stay
2: right now and you have a handle on things?
1: I am, yeah. I'm living in a single room, like three flats. You know, I got some roommates that I'm actually friends with. They're a few years younger than me, but they're really nice people. I'm staying in there now. I'm I'm not gonna say everything is terrible. It's not great. I'll say every day is a struggle. You know that old cliche, one day at a time. No, I'm doing all right. I'm I'm still doing my art, and you know, I'm I'm making comic books with this group of awesome artists from across the country and Europe and Australia. We call ourselves Tales for the Toilet. We're supposed to be the the world's number one leading bathroom periodical, comic books for the toilet. It's adult, stupid adult, poo-poo pee-pee humor, but it's a lot of fun. Being able to actually make my own art and not have to worry about what anyone else thinks about it I really feel like my parents kind of screwed me up with that you know I could have probably been a lot further along with my art than I am right now because I feel like I'm basically just started off last year at 34 years old you know what I mean
2: yeah and you're having to almost it's not you know, like you forget how to draw but you have to kind of start over and you could have been way more established or way more talented or skilled if you had been doing it from age 16 until now, but
1: you were doing other things. (laughs) If you were not focused on that, I was doing other things. I was stifled. Of course, it's not entirely all their fault, but it was just a huge mix of stuff. Technically, I, could have started when i was like five because i've been took how long i've been drawing for you know i was able to pick up a crayon i'm sure that there's millions of other stories i could tell you but basically when i was halfway out to kind of try to wrap it up a nice neat little package here is that comics kind of saves my life just like art just kind of saved my life you know Well, I guess people were the ones that saved my life, but the counselors and the therapists and the antidepressants and all that stuff. I just feel like everybody was put here for something and it's most important in life to figure that out and to do it. You always hear about the rat in the cage
2: that chooses cocaine or drugs over food but what does that rat have? All it's got is a cage. If you give that rat something else to do, something else some other stimulation, guess what? It can change it won't. Right.
1: It's going to go live its life. Absolutely. I'm glad you pulled yourself out of it and found something that makes you happy. Thank you. A shameless plug here, I don't know yeah, if anyone wants to follow me or whatever, see what's going on with my art. It's a lot of dick jokes. It's a lot of foul humor and just absurdist, X-rated stuff. But you can find me on Instagram at Mike Makes Comics. It's as simple as that. Mike Makes Comics. Well, I lived a very parallel life with
2: you and never. Yeah, did. my father, and both my brother and sister are dead from drugs, and only checked mental health, so yeah, it's... Sorry, It happens, and I don't know why I somehow didn't choose to continue drinking or continue using drugs. For whatever reason, didn't. I guess I... I'm lucky, really. It's just... (laughs) I think sometimes it's dumb luck.
1: Sure, man, yeah. You can call it that, or you can just call it fate. If you want, you know.
0: Thank you so much, Mike, for sharing. If there are any halfway houses or charities in your area, I would consider donating because it can change people's lives.